audio check. <laughs>
building your brand, um, fulfilling your passions, like what's going on, you know, with you guys. Cool. Go first, man. Cool. I'm on the spotlight. Literally, yeah. it's like blinding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, I've been working uh, full time as a pharmacist uh, in the community setting since 2012. Absolutely love it. The relationships that I get to build with my patients. I have phenomenal technicians. Um, we all just jive well together. It's really an enjoyable environment. Um, with that, I'm very passionate about nutrition and fitness. Um, I just had a, a bodybuilding competition actually about a month ago. So that is done with. Uh, still lo- living the lifestyle uh, more flexibly now. So it's, it's very enjoyable. Um, but really learning more about uh, nutrition. Um, with my company, The Diet Doc, that I've been into since 2013. That really helps to empower uh, patients to learn, not put them on a diet or on a like supplement plan, but really educating them through not only nutrition, but also the mindset component uh, to living a healthy lifestyle. So that's really been phenomenal and rewarding. Um, for really, for me, my focus now is travel and building those relationships. Uh, it's a you know, network with people that are also on that path, like, like you and Mike. So here I am in Miami talking to you fine bros. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's really just, you know, constant, never ending improvement. How can I get to the next step? How can I be one just one percent better than the day before, and just keep that momentum going? So, so living passion. One thing that I think was interesting too. So, you know, your your title, especially on Instagram and Facebook, you know, all all your social medias are the fit pharmacist. But I think it's important, you know, the distinction which we you know recently made of you know it's not just about your physical health, oh, right? But it's about mental, your career, relationships. That yeah. Kind of thing. So. Whenever people hear of fitness, they're like, oh, you know, how much can you bench or what do you look like? But that's just like one minor component of what really I'm talking about. It's really about the fitness of your career, the fitness of your life in the essence of, you know, are you living up to your full potential? And uh, this relates to what we have to offer with our abilities, with, with, with our passions, because once you take what you're good at, once you take your passion, and then once you take work consistency and you merge those together you can create phenomenal impact in people's lives and that sort of impact will create an attraction or affinity with other people that are doing the same thing maybe in not the same niche but relatable and that's how we all met um we're both in we're all three in pharmacy and we're passionate about what we do but we have those different little niches but when we come together we get these amazing ideas we produce content like this at 2 a.m in in miami (laughs) Um, and it's 140. Think, don't don't yeah. exaggerate. Things just flow. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's really being fit in the sense that you're putting in, li- living up to what you can become to become better than you ever thought. Mm-hmm. Doctor Corvino, what's going on, man? Oh, I'm just really trying to get used to this Miami lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> thinking, of, thinking about moving the podcast here full time. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough life. My wife's not going to be happy, yeah. but. <laughs> No, uh, so I got several different things I'm working on. You know, the Core Console RX stuff is is definitely kind of a full-time gig in and of itself. I'm trying to expand you know, the podcast that I'm doing um, with Cole Swanson. I'm, I'm really trying to grow. Um, I'm also trying to look at how we can implement um, blogs and different um you know, video, whether it's speaking engagements, or whatever, um, just trying to basically get more content out there on social media in general. I, I think that obviously the education part of it's what I'm really involved in. And I want, I like to find new ways of ha- seeing how we can implement that. So 
kind of going on as many different fronts as I can. Um, the Snapchat stuff I've been doing has been pretty cool with putting up questions and um, NAPLAX or PANTS or whatever the board exams that the different professions uh, that we're trying to reach, you know, putting those on Snapchat for the daily questions has been pretty cool. And just trying to find different ways of utilizing technology. Obviously, Alexa is a big one that we're got our eyes on. But that's the uh, the social media core console part of it. Um, the other part is is the teaching. You know, obviously, I run a community pharmacy as well, so that's my f- true like full time gig. But teaching has really become something that I'm very passionate about, and working with the PA program at Charleston Southern University has been huge for me and. I've really, really enjoyed my short-lived career there, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm looking for ways that I can expand on that and uh, go further with that program. And you know, I've, I feel like I'm, I'm like in the class with the students, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm like I get more nervous. I think take when they take a test than I ever yeah. did for my own test because <laughs> I, I just you know really want to yeah. to grow. So you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more later about you know your your where your career is kind of leading to and things like that, but. Uh, you had mentioned something earlier about, uh, you know, utilizing, I guess, your a clinical background, but actually as an effective way to influence a patient's behavior. And I think that was pretty interesting because, um, you know, on, the, on our podcast, we don't get super clinical about things, but I do want to do stress the importance of like, we need to know our stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. um, even though whether it is you're building your reputation, you're building your brand, Whatever it is that you're doing, you're a pharmacist, you're an expert at medications, like we need to know our stuff. Yeah. And we also have different ways of getting patients to, you know, to uh, take on certain behaviors, whether it's because whether we're influencing adherence, whether we're um, trying to get them to understand why it's important to take their medication, um, but just basically uh, have an influence on their behavior. So Mm -hmm. what was the unique way that kind of we don't really think to do usually to like to do that? So if, if for me, whenever I was first time looking at like clinical trials, clinical data and going through like, you know, in this evidence-based medicine idea, if you will, I never really saw that as an important piece of the puzzle for patients, like for actual patient education. I always saw that as like clinician talking to clinicians kind of thing. But what I realized, especially like working with the diabetes program that I actually use evidence-based medicine quite a bit for getting a patient to either be adherent or take a medication in the first place. Uh, the, the one we were talking about earlier, uh, I had a patient that was on insulin. He was, he was not controlled and he's seeing a new endocrinologist and the endocrinologist wanted to put him back on metformin because he had never been, there's no reason for him not to be on it. Type two diabetes, it's first line treatment. Uh, and there's no reason for him not to be on it. But so she really wanted to get him back on it. So he came to me and was like, why does she want this medication? I don't want to take it. I, you know, I don't want to take pills for no reason. And so I brought up something called the HOME trial, which is a study that compared patients who were already taking insulin and adding metformin to it, comparing it just to the patients who were taking uh, insulin alone. And you know, I told him basically the, the results, and it was mostly the secondary outcomes that were important in that trial. But I talked to him and said, you know, basically what they found is that it can reduce your chances of having a heart attack or stroke. Uh, it can reduce your weight gain from insulin itself. So you have weight, less weight gain. It can lower your A1C by almost a half a percentage by adding metformin. And you can basically go down on how many units of insulin you need per day. Some patients were as much as 19 units per day less. 
And so I basically talked to him about the using that data from the trial, but spun it in a way he could clearly understand. And he was like, wow, all those things. And he ended up taking his metformin and getting back on it. And now he's adherent. And then the chronologist was happy, obviously. And so, you know, in that way, it was a short term. And I didn't have to go into super great detail about it and explain mm-hmm. the statistics and all that. But it was a way to use a clinical trial and, and actually make a difference in that guy's life. Yeah. So um, I think that's important. I mean, there's a lot of times, too, like I think some news organizations use the term study fairly loosely yeah. unfortunately people love that term though yeah i was gonna say it's effective yeah like you Which know buzzword yeah it's for a, sure and uh i mean usually the thing is though is that when we utilize it it's usually backed off some real evidence-based medicine right right whereas you know sometimes they just do like a survey like on on you know main street somewhere and then like con- study you know yeah. s- that was conducted yeah. and that's what this shows so um, yeah, so I think that's, you know, I think realizing that utilizing the word to say study, you know, we or we I read this and this is what I found or this is what that found and, and using that as a tool to effectively influence behavior on mm-hmm. the patient. So that's really interesting. So um, one theme I did want to kind of cover is uh, is is ownership. Mm-hmm. Right. And in in anything that we do, I think there's a mindset of like of a lack of ownership mm-hmm. and whether that be, you know, having other healthcare professionals have an influence on the way we practice, um, whether it's that's um, our supervisor, whether it's someone that works um, for us or a colleague, I think we're not doing a good job at um, taking ownership of ourselves and our careers and what's going on in our actions. So um, I guess... Dr. Martin, we'll start with you. Um, we had talked about this theme and how you've, you've, you've kind of like, that's been kind of on your mind recently because there's a couple of things you've, you've been looking into. Do you want to go into a little bit about like how you feel about ownership or should we take a question from Instagram? We got or one. We got, oh, we got one. one. Okay, so first let's do, let's do Yes. All right, so we're going to take a quick break to... Uh, it's never been done before. Yes. <laughs> I'm super excited. What's the question? So the question is, what are some techniques you use to increase patient compliance? It's a major problem with many of the patients I have encountered. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Can I go uh, first? Dr. Wait. Yes. yes. The answer yeah, is? is uh, connect with them. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So Agreed. Yes. So one of my... Um, let me go see. Yeah. So there we go. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> so so uh, one of my ways that I think is really helpful to getting patients to be adherent is by connecting with them. Um, hey, wave. So is connecting with them. So whether it be on a front of, you know, finding out that they also like football, which is one of my favorite sports, or whether it's finding out that they love Disney, or whether it's it's, you know, learning about their cousin who likes something that you do, having that connection with that patient I think actually gets them bought in to trusting you and to listening to the things that you have to say, which is usually about the importance of taking their medication. So to me, that's like a tool, which is not like a physical or tangible tool per se, but I think it's something that I've found that's very helpful for getting me um, to getting my patients to be adherent. Awesome question. Yeah, really good question. And I think, too, just to add on to that a little bit, you know, I think that it's very patient-specific. You know, it may be just a matter of the patient has a hard time remembering to take their medication. 
Uh, so in that case, you know, providing tools. There's a lot of free like aids that you can use for people, whether it's schedules they can print out. Um, you know, if it's a community pharmacy that you're involved with or the patient is getting their prescriptions at, you can call the pharmacy, have them put them on an automatic refill or whatever it is. Uh, and then also explaining the the reason why yes. behind these medications. I know me personally, if somebody tells me I have to do something, um, even if that person is an expert, I have a hard time automatically just saying, well, I guess I'll just do it. And I want to know the why behind it. And so for me, like I'll explain if a patient wants to take a statin and they're like, well, I don't know why I needed to be on this medication. I'll say, well, exactly. it's it's looking at your 10-year risk reduction of having a heart attack, stroke. We want we have you healthy now. We want to keep you healthy yeah. long-term. And explaining that why and not just because I have a, a white coat and I said so I think is a huge, yeah. huge benefit. Yeah, I would actually, that, that was my point. You stole it. Yes. Sure. <laughs> um, but no, the why is important, especially when you're trying to tell someone like how to take a medication like Synthroid in the morning or Fosamax, you know, in the morning – Take, like if you just say like, oh, take your Fosamax first thing with a glass of water and that's it, you know, you don't explain the why, that's not going to lead to adherence. But to what's Mike saying with, with statins, that's my like go-to example. Let's say they're on Simvastatin and you say take it at bedtime. Well, if you just say that, you know, well, I forgot to so take it in the morning. Well, it's most effective at bedtime because that's when your body generates cholesterol and this and that. Oh, so it's going to improve like the effect. So, so things like that. Just the little things that really drive home the why and also having like what um, Rich said with having that relationship, that's huge because you can tailor that to the patient. So you can say like one of his examples was football. Let's say you, you, there's a famous football player that has diabetes. Like, oh, you know, so-and-so, he has this condition too. And then tie it back into that. So instead of just reading a pamphlet or regurgitating what you studied, taking that information, simplifying it and delivering it in a way that that patient can understand in a topic or realm that they are passionate about will really pique their interest. Because let's say um, they hate going to the doctor's office. Well, your doctor said immediately they tune out. But if they love football, you're like, oh, football, they're tuning in. So having that is really important. Combining those facets will really allow that to happen. So. Yeah. Oh, there's a question here. Yeah, and I got we another got, one on mine. Nice, <laughs> as, nice. As a the farm, podcast is turning into oh, an awesome so question things, and answer. I love it. So things took a turn, but we're, we're going we're, into we're Q and A. We're going with it. We're going into Q and A, guys. This is from uh, Study RXIG. As a pharmacist in the retail setting, do you counsel patients on lifestyle modifications with their eating habits? Ooh. Ooh. So, it depends on the patient and where they're at. So, a lot of times, take this charger. A lot of times. Unfortunately, patients don't want, you got it? Okay. Um, patients don't want that time, they're in a rush or, or whatnot. So a lot of times that opportunity isn't there, but when the patient does say, you know, hey, I've tried things, I wanna get started with that, that's when you can start asking questions, especially where motivational interviewing comes into play. Um, we're all trained in that in pharmacists with smoking cessation, for example, but really assessing those needs um, and then having that conversation. One of the huge roles that I feel we have as pharmacists, talking to the mic here, as pharmacists is we are basically liaisons um, advocating for patients' health care. So if they're having back problems and we see that, we can refer them to a chiropractor. If we are having, like your question is, um, health talks or you know talking about lifestyle modifications, we can tie in what Mike does about 
studies that prove lifestyle modifications has an impact in diabetic hair. And there's that why. You're relating it to their interest, which Rich just said, as having an interest in that. So it really is patient-specific because one thing that I learned coming out of pharmacy school is I have all this knowledge. I'm, you know, first day on the job. I want to, like, really share that. And you try to, like, give it all. But if patients aren't ready to listen, if they're not tuned in that and they didn't ask for it, you're wasting your time and other people's time. Um, so if they're ready, if they're willing to listen, you can cater what you know and meet people where they are at. That's the huge like learning point that I had as a new pharmacist is meeting people where they're at so that they can actually um, have that information and use it rather than you know talking way over their head and they just tune out and it doesn't help anybody. So really patient specific, I'd say for that. So I also wanted to take this time because you know he mentioned you know being a, a new pharmacist. So I just wanted to take this time and give a shameless uh, shameless plug to my new book. Like I set that up. First, up. first time pharmacist. Knock that out of the park. <laughs> <laughs> Knock that softball out of the park. Thanks, bro. <laughs> yeah, available on Amazon. You get a paperback Kindle and iBooks coming soon. But anyway, let's move on. Was there another question over here? And also the audio version, right? Oh, and the audio the audio book will be coming probably in the next couple months. Yeah. Hopefully, so um, recorded by your one and only. Um, Mike Corvino. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a possibility, actually. Yeah. yeah. Anywho. Um, all right. Do we have another question? Yeah, there's more one popping up on yours. Yeah. yeah you want to read that one? You're closer. Okay, sorry. I got it. My bad. It was a jerk move. Hey, how's it going, guys? Do you guys, do you guys find it difficult working in retail pharmacy, um, particularly due to business obligations and commercial pressures? find it to be very hard at times to mix business and healthcare. So I like this question, actually. It's addressed in your yeah. book, actually. Well, yeah, it's actually, uh, again, uh, if you take into uh, to account the first-time pharmacist uh, in there, you're going <laughs> to get, you, get, get some good info in there. Um, I'll take a shot at this. So in terms of m mixing business and healthcare, I think it, at the end of the day, Everything that we do is a business, mm -hmm. like everything. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that the two can be separated. Um, I actually think they could be more integrated. And I think that that's what we need to do. I think that a lot of the pharmacies need to just integrate it more where the business model stems off of the, the caring. Mm -hmm. And I think that it is difficult. I won't say that it's not hard. It's definitely something that's that is. I mean, sorry, I won't say it's not easy. It is something that's difficult to uh, to deal with, but um, I think it's just understanding that the care that you provide to these people will drive that business model. You know, and and a lot of times it's hard because you have all these metrics coming from corporate and and this and that. But at the end of the day, we do have to realize that the the metrics are coming from a good place, although we might not agree with whether it's a right metric or not. But I do think that a lot of the metrics do end up being met um, if you actually take on, if you're approaching everything from a point of care. Yes. I think there's a, poss there's a way, and again, n by no means am I saying that that's easy and it's hard, but I do think that your business will do well if you genuinely care about your patients. Um, and then, you know, Whatever happens after that usually, usually results in you know positive growth for the for the business. 
um, whether it be by volume or whether it be by patient satisfaction scores. Um, I do think eventually it does lead to that, but um, but it really has to come from a point of like care, I would say. Absolutely. And I, I'm going to piggyback off that and say it does always come back to putting the patient first. So let's say, for example, um, you're understaffed. Never happens in the pharmacy world. Never. Never. Um, you're understaffed, working a busy shift. Someone drops off a script. They get an estimated time of like 10, 15 minutes. You rush, you get it done in about 15 minutes, and that's it. Or you're super understaffed, you get it in like 20 minutes, but you like genuinely care. You see that they're starting metformin for the first time. Um, you, you, you know this patient's been in. They've been you know, nervous about their diagnosis, their health, or whatnot. Um, so you, you go and counsel them. You're like, hey, you know, take this with food. Careful for diarrhea. It, it will pass with time. And you, follow, you call and follow up in a couple days because you have that level of care. Uh, initially, they were like, oh, it was past 15 minutes. But they see that that actually was um, coming from a genuine place of care. That's going to make all the difference in the world. They're probably going to be like, oh, my God, like he actually cares. That's my pharmacist. Like that phrase is like clutch. Like that, that makes it worth it. Um, so it, it does come from care. I agree with what Rich said. But not easy, though. Any, was there more questions anyone saw on Instagram before we... Uh, somebody asked where they can find my studies at in particular. Um, I don't, I've only gotten one thing published, and it was just a review of dyslipidemia. So the content that I've put out is normally uh, obviously just summaries of other people's studies that are significantly more intelligent and, and versed in these subjects than I am. I'm just regurgitating information that smarter people said. So, <laughs> yeah, the studies, and I usually, if you look at any of my content, um, the studies that I talk about, I'll usually reference and uh, explain, you know, where they came from, so. All right, so let's uh, let's continue our, our conversations about uh, about ownership of, like, our own actions and our careers and things like that. Um. I think you were, we were going to go to you, to Dr. Martin, to talk about some things. Um, what did you want to mention on that? Yeah, so for certain concepts, it really comes down to, and Mike had an excellent example of this, so I'm actually going to tee this back to him because it's a, a real example that he had um, in his teaching experience because uh, he teaches pharmacology for a PA program. Um, but it comes down to, you know, it, it, it's easy to say their fault or they were late, this didn't happen, but regardless of who's fault it is if you own that situation with 100 percent, if you go into every situation with that attitude that's going to tee you up to be better every single time because let's say um for example like mike was saying like someone didn't you're teaching a class and someone didn't get the question right well were they not paying attention that you could just leave it there and like oh they weren't paying attention not my problem or you're going to take responsibility well who was teaching i was teaching they didn't pay attention my content wasn't interesting enough. I didn't have them engaged enough. I didn't deliver the material in a good enough way. What's that going to do? Force you to improve, force you to engage more so that your class is more in that material. And that's an example that Mike just had because that's how he's wired. That's how he thinks. It's not, oh, you know, who's lazy or whatever. It's how can I improve because that was my fault. I'm the teacher. I take that ownership. Um, and that's a choice. And that's a huge display of integrity, I think. Um, but, you know, Mike can talk more about those, but I'm a very avid reader, love reading and, and taking those concepts and applying them. Um, there's two books I, I recently read. One was not, not too recent, but it's called Extreme Ownership by Two Navy Seals. We actually talked about that. Jocko Willink. Heck yeah, man. Um, but it's literally approaching every situation, even if it was like measures beyond your control, asking, you know, what could I have done better to improve the situation? 
even if like someone screwed up or it was out, you know, out of your hands, asking that question. Um, the other is, uh, the, the second book is The Big Leap, talking about if you're in conflict with two people, it comes down to, are you looking at 100% accountability divided between two parties? Because some, it's going to be a competition for the victim position. Like, you're 60% responsible. You know, I had some responsibility. I'm only 40. Well, that's always going to be like, well, no, you were at fault. I was at fault. But if you approach it from a point of each of you have 100% responsibility, what's that going to leave you with? The same conclusion, that you are in charge of everything. It, it can be humbling, but if you think of it that way, it's, you know, what could I have done better to improve this situation, to improve this outcome? Um, and I'm going to tee it off the mic. I don't want to steal too much thunder, but he just had an <laughs> example. You know, one thing I, I like before I even give my own personal, I guess, example on this, but uh, one of the things, if, for those of you guys who like uh, Gary Vaynerchuk out there, um, he, he said that he considers every single thing his fault. So he said, if I leave this building right now and I get hit by a car, he's, he's, his first thought's going to be, gosh, I shouldn't have left that early. Yeah. And, you know, I think that obviously that's uh, an exaggeration because he clearly didn't have anything to do with that. But, you know, I think that that mindset is huge. And yeah. so for me, the way I implement it, um, the example that, that uh, Adam was talking about, is like with my students for the PA school, you know, I, I've noticed everyone, like my first block that I taught, uh, there's a couple students, um, you know, one in particular that I kind of noticed that yeah, really smart dude, but uh, it seemed like he was sleeping a little bit in class. Which we do. Yeah. And I have a ton of empathy for the classroom because I was so bad at the classroom portion of mm -hmm. pharmacy school that I will never ever hold anyone to like judge or judge anyone I should say mm -hmm. on based on how they act or what they do to prepare for class because I'd be a hypocrite yeah. and you know I, I just know that that's not how everyone learns and so I never really thought anything of it you know I, other than I, I felt like okay well, what am I doing wrong then to not have him engaged because he, he may clearly he may just be the same exact mindset as me uh, where this I just hate sitting still that long and have a hard time paying attention. But what am I not doing correctly that would allow him to pay attention or maybe would get him more interested? And so one of the things I started doing this block was basically working through a case throughout my entire set of slides. And so if I, I would do like seven or eight slides uh, to talk a little bit about the case or let them work on the case on their own to break up the monotony of me talking and then go back to the slides, let them do that for a little bit go back to the case, let them work on their own, kind of get uh, back refocused again after that. And I noticed he was like really a lot more engaged. And, you know, I think that if I had had the mindset of well, like, oh, this guy's being like disrespectful or, you know, how dare he? Yeah. I think that I would have never been able to get past, you know, that and then like move forward of like, okay, well, what do I need to do to help this guy? And I think in the long run, I'll have a much better relationship with that student because and he, and, and he would in turn, I would imagine, he maybe not, not always, but I would imagine that he would look to me as a better teacher, hopefully, because I would, you know, take those changes and not and, and accept responsibility for him. I mean, he, it could be completely his fault in reality, but if I automatically just assume that and just then I'm never going to change, I'm never going to grow. So. Yeah. And I think, you know, you're also doing so many other things, too, that most teachers aren't doing. Uh, you know, you're you have content that are helping your own students on social media mm -hmm. you know you you have questionnaires and there's that on snapchat 
like unheard of, yes. you know? So it's like finding ways to do those things to keep them engaged because you are taking on that ownership. You are finding out, okay, where, where are these students' eyeballs? Like, what are they, what are they paying attention to? Where, where's their mindset? And a lot of, you know, professors out there are not catering to where the student's attention is. Right. So it's like by you doing that now, you're taking ownership in the fact that, yeah, like it, this is all going to be on me. So what can I do to get that attention from these students to get them more engaged? So I think that's that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Thanks, man. I did, I did. I will say like one of the comments that I had on my review at the end of the block was that one of the students put that they really enjoy the Snapchat questions for like practice questions and then they put like dot 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 the fact that we can even say that we like the snapchat questions for a grad school class mm -hmm. is pretty awesome and that yeah. you know, that was that was a cool comment because i like that you know that's the age group that's done that's on this on snapchat the most mm -hmm. um and then even younger going back further they're the, the most prevalent on there but being able to use something that they're already on and and gear it back to class to get them thinking about class when they're not there mm -hmm. um, i'm really was exciting for me yeah, and uh, you know, there's all different types of pharmacists I think that are on the that are listening to this now. You know, whether you're a seasoned veteran, um, you just start as a pharmacist, or, or you're a student, I think it's important to just have that mindset of like ownership. Like everything is your fault. Like whatever it is that's going on with you in your life, whether it's your career, if you, if there's something that you can that kind of upsets you, or there's something that you are complaining about, or there's something that you want to change. All the actions after that or results from that should really be like you need to take ownership of that and it, it let it be your fault, mm -hmm. you know. So, hundred percent. Um, I think it's a I think it's a big topic and I'm glad we kind of you know kind of talked about it a little bit more. But um, I'm seeing some some uh, interesting looks from you guys because I think we got another question. Well, just the one quick one that I saw was um, how long after graduation did I start teaching with or lecturing with the PA students? Uh, it was right around three years, so. Um, but. But I, I wish one of my professors used Snapchat too. <laughs> yeah, nice. But I'm I mean, PA school. But how long have you been like doing things to actually work towards something like that? Though I think that's the that's maybe yeah. a better question. So like, the the PA school teaching PA school was never ever on my radar. That was never something I planned to do. Uh, it was never anything that I thought about. Um, but I've started the process of like making sure that I would always be up to date with information. The second I finished school, um, I didn't do a residency, which in a lot of ways held me back from certain things, but I have caught up to a lot of that because of how much time I've spent. I mean, I used all my vacation. I don't say this to be braggadocious. I say it because I just, what I had ended up having to do because of not having a residency. So it's not me bragging. It's more of like just a warning. Yeah. <laughs> the, price the price to pay. Um, but, you know, I spent all of my vacation days up until this past March, which was, you know, three years after graduating. Um, when we went, I took, we, me and my wife went to California with Richie and his fiance. Um, that was the first vacation I had taken in three years. Up until that point, every single one of my vacation days I spent volunteering at MUSC to work with the students to learn, um, spend time listening to patient cases and whatever else I, I could do. Cause yeah, I, it, there's, there's only one way to prepare yourself for that. And that's just to do it every single day. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of what I, you know, happened to me maybe about a year ago. I felt, you know, from a personal standpoint that the impact that I wanted to have wasn't there and I wasn't satisfied with where things were going in my career. And that's when I really started uh, 
you know, taking to building my brand, building my reputation and um, just providing as much value as I can to, you know, as much as many people as I can. Um, and it's just because I, I think that mindset with me is just changed. Like, okay, whatever happens from this point on now, it's going to be my fault. Mm -hmm. So whether, whether it be that I stay in the same position that I'm at for the next 30 years, that's going to be on me or whether I move on to something different or get an, see an opportunity or I start teaching or whatever, it's all going to be basically my fault. Yes. Do we have another question? Another question. <laughs> yes. So this is fun. I think we should do this more often. Yeah, like I'm actually going like to do this and just all day schedule long it. 24 hours of questions. Yeah, it's 2.10. It's <laughs> Let's do a, a Q&A uh, marathon. Yeah. See how far. We'll keep going. Yeah. If you That's ask questions, we might just keep going. <laughs> the longest podcast ever. It's going to be longest for four hours. Good. <laughs> it's going to be listed. Go ahead. And yeah. uh, read it. Maybe I should go so live online. He's a pharmacist at a physician assistant program. So I guess basically, what do you do? So I teach uh, pharmacology uh, slash pharmacotherapy. So as a pharmacist, yes, um, I'm the only PharmD on staff, and I go in and uh, teach the pharmacology, the you know the nitty gritty stuff of adverse effects, mechanism of action, all the traditional pharmacology, um, and then I take it a step further where. I basically implement, okay, here's all your thiazide diuretics. You have HCTZ, you have adapamide, you have clothalidone. Which one do we actually use and why? Um, what are some other things to think about? And, you know, I'll even break it down to studies. Um, you know, we don't have any good cardiovascular outcome data with HCTZ. Um, we have a meta-analysis that shows it's not as effective as even at lowering blood pressure as adapamide or clothalidone. So I'll talk about the trials, um, the 2017 guidelines and uh, in, in where those would implement um, and actually ask and uh, or show the students which they, because they're going to be prescribing. And so if you get them prepared using evidence-based medicine, I feel like that it, that significantly helps them kind of start their careers and, and make sure that they're providing the best care they can for their patients. Just went live on RX Radio. I was, I was doing some other stuff with my phone, but now, now, now this is going to be real. Like whatever questions come in, yeah, well, I'm just going to keep answering nice them. It's nice to finally get started after <laughs> we've been doing this for 45 minutes. I got to figure out where to put it. We, we ran out of uh, Oh, no. Where's your, where's your other tripod? The huge one. Oh, I found it's it. back there. Sorry, my bad. It's not even being utilized this whole time. Are we still recording? Your pod, this podcast episode, your normal listeners are going to be like, what the heck? Are what is happening they here? They went straight rogue. On this one, it just it took a turn, guys. It did. If you're still listening right now, they're just, not. But <laughs> just in case, for <laughs> the, the three people that decided to just keep listening to this, I really <laughs> Two do in the appreciate live. So that's awesome. Thanks. I think you're awesome too. I'm just trying to get my. Tripod. I'm just glad they let a pill pusher hang out with them. Oh, shit. <laughs> I did this backwards, guys. Come up. with... Come up with a topic. Okay. What's our next topic? We don't have any questions right now. Somebody put, ooh, uh, question and answers. Oh, yeah, exclamation mark. Dancing uh, emoji. Dancing emoji. Yes. So love that. That's cool. <laughs> Great idea of volunteering. Thank you. All right. Yes. Volunteering is key. Um, while Richie's still getting set up, I'll just uh, ad-lib a little bit. Um, something I think that, and we talked about this in your podcast, right? Mm -hmm. I think. Um I think that when we're in pharmacy school, you basically have this mindset of, you know, you pay all this money to work all these hours for free because you're learning. However, when 
you get a PharmD or you know your PA or your MD license, whatever, whatever it is, you get out of school, you do finish residency, whatever. All of a sudden, you're too fancy to volunteer and get your name out there. It's such an effective way to get your foot in the door, and that people to- it's people don't take advantage of it because they think that their their time is too valuable. Uh, I would highly, highly, highly uh, encourage you to not think that way. Um, it's just not the the right move. Volunteering, getting your foot in the door, will pay off in the run and in, in the long the run. It's not the move. <laughs> it's yeah. Not the move. Think you're Real, fancy. You're not fancy. Real quick, just this is just to people that I just went live on RX Radio at two fourteen in the morning. We are currently doing a Q and A session marathon about anything pharmacy related. Hopefully, and, and it wasn't uh, announced either. Yeah, it wasn't announced. Why so would this we? Is literally, like, why would just, we do the right thing? Whoever is up at this time to catch this is going to catch it. So. I'm just. I'm actually going to move a little bit into the shot so I can get. But yeah, I have to agree with what Mike said. Um, once I graduated, I was on the fence. Like I was working full time in community pharmacy, but I was on the fence of actually going back to do a residency because I wanted to learn more. And I was in that mindset of, oh, you got to like go this track. But then I started thinking, well, what if I created my own? Um, so one of my professors, um, Dr. Scott Drab, who is like the master of diabetes, he actually wrote part of the package insert for metformin, like legit legit guy, really cares about his patients. I wanted to learn more about diabetes and how you can have that bedside manner because that's like the strongest suit of anyone I've met in pharmacy um, was was that skill that he had. So he has a diabetes clinic that's kind of far away, about an hour and 15 minutes from where I live. Um, so I did that for about eight months. I don't know if I ever told you this, man. I don't think you have. No. Ta-da. So I was really looking to like um, focus in the diabetes niche. So I would drive on my day off. So with my schedule, I have um, rotating two weeks. So I get one full day off every other week. So on Thursdays, I'm, I'm, I'm off. So I would literally go there, you know, leave 7 a.m., get there with students at pharmacy school who are on rotation and not like show up, like you said, all fancy, but I just said, like, you know, I'm here to learn. I'm with you guys. So go in with the room with the students, do the assessments, let them, you know, do all the assessment what what whatnot. But getting that exposure, getting that experience of how the students would teach and then seeing the critiques um, from Dr. Drab doing that interaction, um, the feedback from the patients, and then and then blending that not only allowed me to enhance my skills as a practitioner, but allowed me to form those relationships. Because pharmacists are like, wait, you're a pharmacist and you're here for free. Like, why? Because you're learning. And it's, I think, an invaluable thing that allows you to hone that clinical knowledge and build those relationships. Um, and I still talk to a lot of those pharmacy students that I met because they would change, you know, their own rotations so every five weeks. Um, really invaluable experience. I have to double tap what Mike said about volunteering. Highly recommend it. What was the question? No, volunteering. Actually, that was not a question. It was just oh, something I made up to kill time a, while you found the tripod. Topic. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> awesome. We're super good at just filibustering. Yeah, it sounded amazing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was so intrigued. So intrigued. Oh man. Um, is there another question on here? I'm excited. I am so excited, so guys. Questions? What the? I, sh- I wish I would have announced this earlier, man. This would have been something that I think. I don't know who to stayed up for it, but I love this. Um, so many folks, guys. Uh, I have so many questions, but the mosquitoes are uh, attracted to my computer and eating me alive. It's a Caribbean thing. See you in the next live session. That's awesome. Oh, <laughs> thanks for thanks for checking it out. Definitely avoid the mosquitoes. They're not, yeah. they're not good. <laughs> yeah, mosquitoes are 
are crazy. They're the worst. Yeah. It's, the, it's also a, uh, from where I'm from, South Carolina, we, that's our state bird, by the way. Oh, yeah. Is uh, it really? Yeah, the mosquito. State bird. Not really. Oh, no, no, no. That's a joke. Yeah, no, but there was some real funny joke, though, about, like, there was something about... People have it on their bumper stickers and stuff like that. It's is it really? Yeah, because they're so freaking prevalent. That's super yeah, funny. Yeah, they're terrible. Yeah. And the like, size of velociraptors. Listen, it's 2.20 in the morning, okay? Yeah. There's certain jokes that just... We've also wrecked your podcast episode now, <laughs> yeah, because I'm At super this point, off topic. And we're still posting it, I hope. I'll post it online. I don't care. Yeah, you know, this is still going up, guys. So this... I, I'm excited about it, though. People are going to be like, okay, I'll stick around. Yes. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I like this feature. Or they'll just stop following you immediately. Because, yeah. <laughs> or they're going to unsubscribe Stat. on spot. <laughs> 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 Which is cool because, you know, it's the podcast episodes are usually pretty structured. So I'm kind of I'm kind of glad that it's gonna they're going to get a solid curveball thrown yeah. uh, with this episode because they'll never know what will happen again. Uh, honestly, this is perfect for me because this is about <laughs> how all my episodes yeah, go. <laughs> my, as far as structure, Cole and I sit down. <laughs> And if you've never heard my podcast or heard us joke, we literally sit down and go, what do you want to talk about? All right. Uh, insomnia. And then record. I mean, you start yeah. going. All right. All right. No, let's, let's try to bring some value for whoever's still here. <laughs> for whoever's still here right now, let's see how we can bring them um, some value real quick. So um, let's go with, let's go around the room with get like a, like one piece of advice for, uh, for, ins- I guess, inspiring um, or what, what's the best advice for someone that wants you to start taking on that ownership and that mindset of all right this is now it's everything's going to be my fault what's yeah. what's a good way to start number one what can i do to improve where are you where are you not satisfied in your life are you 100 percent satisfied in every aspect in your life in your job in your relationship in what you bring you said let's bring these people value in what value you bring your team and what value you bring your patients so if you're not 100 percent satisfied guess who can fix that yeah you so what actions can you take? What can you do? You don't have to wait. You don't have to plan. You can take some sort of action now. So just getting that ball rolling by being aware and taking that self-assessment. I think, Rich, you were, we were talking about that yesterday. Um, that's a huge point is just have that reflection. Nice. Yeah. I mean, definitely a solid way to start, you know, as to looking inward at you and seeing how you can take ownership of pretty much your actions, um, let alone, you know, starting with someone, you know, other people's in the outside world. So. Got anything, Mike? I would just add leaving your excuses at the door. Mm. Like everyone's so quick to justify, you know, that they don't have time for something that they, you know, you don't understand. Everybody says that you don't understand. Like my situation doesn't allow me to do this. I don't have enough time. That's my biggest pet peeve. And also my biggest, like, I guess where I start to, my brain automatically shuts you off as far as being a legitimate source is when you come at me with, I can't, I would love to do all that, but I just can't because I don't have time. Like, if you really get down to the nitty gritty every 10 minutes of your life, and if you could find time somewhere, some tiny piece that you maybe uh, could use, you know, you could improve and, and use to, to get to where you want to. Um, and maybe small, but you could find something. Yeah. And, and the other thing is be willing to make the sacrifice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sacrifice, it's, if it was easy, then. It, Everybody would do it. You made all these sacrifices. All you gave up all this stuff to get to where you're at already. Why would you think the process to get further would be any different? Yeah, I'm gonna so. summarize. You can make excuses or time, but you can't make both. Yeah, I think choose. you know. I think the whole you know, learning to sacrifice certain things to realize like things are changing. 
you know, healthcare as a whole is changing drastically. And I think, you know, if we want to be, if we want to continue to be relevant um, with whatever it is that we're doing, whether we're a pharmacy manager, whether we're a student, whatever it might, it might be, I think it's, uh, I think it's just making sure that we are taking the time out, putting that time in to learn and to, and to adapt to like the new like landscape of where not only marketing is, not only just communication is in general, um, but getting to a point where we can start building our brands um, w- with time dedicated to it. Mm-hmm. Was there another question that popped yeah, that's up? Yeah, a good one. Okay. Let's, uh, go ahead, Mike. The question is, as a pharmacy manager, how do you manage your time effectively to finish your work on time, especially since retail pharmacy is full of inter- interruptions? Um, I, to start off with, I mean, I don't let the other two finish, but I know for me... It depend again. It kind it depends on your goals. You know, yes, there's a lot of distractions. We've all been managers in retail pharmacy. Um, we've done several other things as well. And I think that regardless of what area you practice in um, or any other profession, I think that it's something that you're going to have to struggle with. Period. Because there's always interruptions with wherever. Um, I think I know for me personally, if I had something that I needed to get done as far as my schedule and time never was even a factor in my mind. I just was there until the work was done. There was plenty of times where I came in and basically would work on my weekend off if I had to, to get things done uh, or, or, you know, spend, stay there late and get things done. And I just would put in the time because I knew I had to as the manager. So it's just one of those things. If you want your, your, store to run effectively your pharmacy your clinic whatever um, you have to be willing to kind of put in that that extra effort sometimes Um, and then also just time management well how much time are you allocating to certain things do you have people in place that allow you to maybe delegate some of that extra work i think is another thing training your people is, is huge prioritizing for sure so i i can actually come at that from actually a different perspective in the sense of i think a pharmacy and workload and, and things like that at a pharmacy, it's like, it's one of those things where in life we're always striving to be better and we're striving for perfection, right? Mm-hmm. But what's crazy about it is like, we'll never get there. Mm-hmm. Like we're never gonna, like in anything that we do, we're, like whatever it is that we're doing, like we always wanna strive to be the best and be perfect. And that's usually the goal in life for everything is perfection, right? Especially if you're dedicated to what you're doing. But it's also realizing that you'll never get there. Mm -hmm. And I think applying that down to the micro level at the pharmacy, it's like at the end of the day, you need to do your best to care and be safe and take care of everything at that pharmacy. Mm -hmm. But also realize that like you might not finish everything that day. Like it might like and and that's okay. And and even if you stayed for two hours later at at there, there's going to be the next day to do it again to to that same struggle to strive to be for that perfection. You know, so it's also maybe just taking off the pressure of of the fact that like you did your best that day. Yeah. You know, you did all that you could like do with your bare hands and with that team's training. You know, so just and being okay that you guys did your best there. This brings up another book. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so real quick, um, before you just the independent pharmacy just asked that question. We'll we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. I love, yeah, we're gonna get. We are gonna get that. Stay right We're there. We're going to so, get that. So I'll make this real brief. So we talked about you know managing ex, uh, expectations with workflow and everything else. Um, there's an excellent book called Solve for Happiness that's actually written by the CEO of Google X. 
Um, this guy was traumatized because his younger son went in for a routine operation and died on the operating table. He became very depressed, and he made it his life's mission to figure out why are happy people happy, what makes them happy. It comes down to one thing, expectations. If your expectations aren't met, you will be unhappy. So if you go in expecting to you know, clear the queue and have management, your uh, physical inventory 100% perfect, and your techs come to work on time, and they do everything perfectly, you're going to probably be unhappy because those are, for the most part, unrealistic expectations to have all those met. But like what Rich said, if your expectation is to go in, give your best, one, honestly your best, not, oh, you know, feel like it, but actually do it, um, you're going to feel a lot more fulfilled, a lot more happier at the end of the day. So it comes down to what expect, expectation you set that will determine your feeling of success and fulfillment. All right. So um, we have another question on, on the uh, RX Radio Instagram here. It was from a uh, uh, bot from Care, Care and Beyond Pharmacy. They ask, what are the best way, what are the best marketing ways for a small independent pharmacy? So the two things that I love about independent pharmacy is uh, the fact that they can be much quicker um, in innovations mm. than uh, large chains. And I think that is a huge advantage that most of them usually do take on given you know, their financial ability to do that. But what I think is awesome about independent is, is your ability to, for, to execute on speed. And one thing that you can do is just start by innovating. Like there's little things that which I'm going to probably be sending you a message soon on that we can talk about. But there's a new there's a lot of new things that independent pharmacies can do to be innovative and be ahead of um, chain pharmacies. And, you know, that can get real tactical, which, uh, you know, we'll we'll get into. But another thing, though, is I think Facebook marketing mm, is yes. especially if you're an independent. Facebook has ways that you can you can locally target um uh, areas. So if you have an area and especially if you have a chain near you, you can you can do like a little circle around there and you're going to find a lot of people um, in a certain age group, whether it be men or women in that are going to be in that area that will respond to um, Facebook marketing because they're on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Like we don't we we really think that, you know, it's a it's an age thing and that it's only for people under 30 and things like that. But there's millions of of Americans over the age of 50 that are t going to CVS, going to Walgreens and strolling through Facebook. And you, you have an opportunity to reach those people. And, and I honestly, if it was my independent pharmacy that I was marketing for, if my target was patients who were like 50 and up, I would exclusively use Facebook because that's they're actually more prevalent on it nowadays than the 30 and under group anyway. Mm -hmm. The thirty under, under they're like just as a statistics standpoint, they're using Instagram and Snapchat. Um, it's the older populations now, including you know pay, senior citizens that are on uh, Facebook, and they're a lot more likely to consume the content a lot slower because these kids nowadays have adapted to to flying through these news feeds yeah. and engulfing all the information in two seconds, whereas. You know, I know my, my grandma likes every single picture I've ever posted. And she'll read, like, the full comment The full of comment. It. Oh, yeah. yeah. And make sure everybody else in the comments isn't picking on you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and It's, yeah, for and, sure. And I think a lot of it is, you know, ends up being, like, you, you test something, you see how it works, and you adapt. And um, what's unfortunate is that a lot of people will try it. Like, you might go tomorrow and say, yeah, that sounds like a really good idea. Let's go and try Facebook marketing. And all of a sudden you run an ad, you know, you spend maybe a hundred dollars on an ad and it doesn't do well. 
you're not going to do it again. But that's not, I don't think the best way to go about it because maybe that just didn't work. You know, maybe you got to go back and, do, Split and, test. and, uh, yeah, you can do AB testing, which Facebook allows, um, where you can compare, you know, two different campaigns, whether you want to change a couple words here and there and market to the same people, or you want to, um, change the groups of people, but have the same content. But I think it's, it should be, it should be a very, very long process of testing and learning, um, in your area to see what works because at some point you're going to have the eyeballs. So it's just going to then become how good is the content for those people. So I I do think that again, you know, it's a really, really, really good way um, to do that. And especially you have the advantage of being small that you can be speedy in that sense. And, And I would not only just Facebook, but I would encourage you to look at any avenue that potentially has a way of bringing people value, whether that's podcasting, um, whether that is a blog, whether that is producing patient-friendly education materials that they can use, uh, anything that can potentially get eyes on the pharmacy and bring the, bring the patient's actual value without them giving you anything um, is huge. Because if you can provide that value initially, then I, I promise you, you'll have customers uh, in the long run, because the whole law of reciprocity is a very, very real thing. Um, and there may be people that you never reach, but um, I, I truly believe that putting out content, uh, even on a not just locally, but just in a big you know thing like YouTube, for instance, having a channel that educates patients, things that gets people talking about the pharmacy, I think that's huge. I think that brings a lot of like value that people don't aren't able to necessarily quantify in the short term, but it's definitely something to consider. There, there was a uh, I think this might have been something talked about on like Gary Vaynerchuk's podcast, but basically he was saying that there was a lawyer that he knew. I think this is from him. Um, there was a lawyer that he knew that started a golf podcast because mm. he recognized that people in his area that were high end clients were huge fans of golf. And so he became an expert on golf and had all these experts on here to bring people value to help them on their strokes and whatever else uh, he could for their golf game Mm -hmm. because he knew that ultimately they would look to him when they needed legal help. Yeah. And, I mean, that's something such a roundabout way of looking at it, but very, very smart. Yeah. That's my two cents. I like it. And get an Alexa in your pharmacy. Oof. See, that's the thing about speed. Like, they'd be able to do that. Teach your patients how to use an Alexa. Have a flash briefing that talks to them about patient education and telling them how to take certain meds, what kind of foods to avoid. It it could be something that's not relatable for everyone, but patient-friendly advice and say, hey, here's an Alexa that we we sell in our store. I'm assuming that you would have access to that. Uh, Here's how to use it, and if you want... You know, content every day, just say, hey, what's in the news? And you can have a, an updated flash briefing. You'd probably be the first one in the, the U.S. to have such a thing. So I would go for that. Agreed. Oh, man, for sure. And then just from like a, like a business perspective, as far as your ROI, because when you're an independent pharmacy, you, you, we have, the speed is what you have, but mom-pop shops versus the big boys, the funds might not be as, as big. So talking about the eyeballs, they're actually shifting a lot more away from TV, radio ads that are traditional marketing. And that brings the other point that you have to adapt and change with the times. 
And, you know, 20, 30 years ago, that was the gold standard. Newspaper ads, radio ads, TV ads. Those are such a waste of money now. They're so... They, they are going so far down and the prices are going up. The companies are trying to increase the price to um, fill that gap that they've been losing because people are starting to realize they get much better ROI on Facebook ads because that's where the eyeballs are going. That's where people are more. You get more engagement. You can be more personal with those interactions. Um, so just from that perspective, I think, and I have to agree that Facebook's really primed for that. What's this? No, keep going. You're good. Comments. Yeah, let's respond to the comments here. <laughs> Is it yeah. a good one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're read it. In. What? Well, <laughs> it's, not <a> question. <laughs> it's not a question. Yeah, it's just a comment. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say it, though. Okay. <laughs> we'll save it. <laughs> Dude, we're almost out of live time. We got 30 seconds left before we get kicked off Instagram. Oh, shoot. Oh, you not guys you. do. You're good. Oh, we're good. Oh. Since you start. Yo, all you guys, if you want to stay live, you got to come to a. Uh, <laughs> to RX Radio's live oh, channel. I see what he did there. Oh, damn, okay. like a boss. All right, hold on. We got another question here. This question came from an independent pharmacy. They wanted to know if they should hire a uh, outside third-party marketing company to run their marketing campaigns for their pharmacy. It's a good question. Um, no. I, yeah, I would probably say no. Um, we'll help you for free, bro. Yeah, actually, and, and again, I'm, I'm going to reach out to you um, in a direct message, and we'll talk more about that. But I don't think you should because, one, they're probably not going to be pharmacists. They're, they're probably not going to be pharmacists, and um, they might not know how to reach them or reach your population well. They might think they do, and they might show you with some numbers, but I think that it would be best coming from in-house or at least people um, maybe like uh, Dr. Corvino, myself, to, to look at um, what sort of strategies that you can take on from an internal standpoint. But again, I'm going to reach out to you. I'm going to send you a DM. Um, or if you want to send me one now, just to make sure that I have you in there. But I'm going to remember your name and uh, on Instagram here and, and shoot you a message directly so we can talk more. Good deal. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, I feel like, well, you know, this the, using social media, this kind of like community, it allows you to meet people with different skill sets that are more than willing to help you without having to basically, you know, expect something in return. You know, that's how the three of us met. Uh, none of us were, you know, Adam didn't contact me the first time and try to convert me to buy his product. Uh, he was just like super nice guy trying to help me out with uh, getting my stuff started. So. Um, I, um, that's another huge shout out for social media in the medical mm -hmm. world. Yeah. Yeah. Another, literally another like question? this, this whole thing is happening because of like, yeah. I met you on Instagram yeah, too. Yeah. Like, all three of us. Yeah. yeah. And now we're freaking riding jet skis in Miami, which is way more fun than all of what I was going to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got I got another question here. Actually. How far should pharmacies go in terms of making their products and services, uh, quote unquote cheaper? Should we make things affordable or should we rather put a price on our expertise? Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that question. I got some. I got two cents I can throw in. Go. Yeah. Go. So uh, I actually wrote an article not too long ago about how uh, dispensing medications is almost becoming like you know buying a loaf of bread. I think that it is becoming commoditized. The act of dispensing medications. Um, you know, you think about the cost of a metformin tablet. It's ridiculously cheap. Um, so I think in that sense. I think that's already going that way, and there's no stopping that, that these medications are going to be very cheap. Walgreens just recently came out with a huge program 
um, about their like a, a discount Medicaid mate, uh, program where they're not not as discount, but they basically put prices of how much they're gonna have, and then they have like tiers, right? Mm-hmm. They, they have tiers of, um, you know, if it's tier one, tier two, depending on the price, and it's without any insurance. So I think a lot of things are moving towards like being one, first of all cash, but then they're actually just making it like a very very competitive price, and I don't think that's gonna change. But in terms of um, their services, that's where I think things could change a little bit, right? Because at the end of the day, that is not a commodity. Like a pharmacy's intangible service is not a commodity. And I think that is where that we can start exploring the different business models as to how or where we can charge in those things. So I think as a service, like if we're providing medication therapy management and other types of services, I don't think that should, that should quote unquote cheapen. But I do think that we need to move away from the, the, the tying and dispensing of the pharmacist, um, you know, the pharmacist being tied to dispensing, I would say, and that being the expense, you know, per se. Yeah, I think that that, that model is going away very, very quickly. I mean, very quickly. I would, I would suspect within five and at the very most 10 years that that's not even going to be in existence anymore. Um, you know, if Amazon can find a way to send drones to my house with you know, my toothpaste and toilet paper, I'm pretty sure someone can figure out a way to dispense medications without having to pay someone six figures a year to do so. So I think that there may be mail order services that still implement dispensing yeah. pharmacists, but uh, I think that uh, now more than ever, it's an important time to make sure that you have uh, clinical knowledge. Yeah, but I mean, it's some people's truths though, right? Like there's pharmacies right now that they have to survive. Like they can't mm-hmm. count on the fact that that's becoming a commodity and they have to survive and do what, do what they need to do. So, but I just think that it has to be recognized that their, their normal profit margins that used to be off of the prescriptions is changing, especially with the DIR fees, especially with how reimbursement is going, that's all changing. So we just need to start exploring, um, you know, different ways of marketing. Like we kind of just spoke about because at the end of the day, boots in the door is still going to increase the business model, whether they're, you know, buying metformin or not. But um, I just think it's exploring those different ways of marketing um, and exploring the different types of services that we can offer um, our, uh, our, our patients. So. Somebody wrote, my question was, is that an energy drink? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a freaking monster. No, it's not. It's water. <laughs> this is not sponsored by Monster. Yeah, it's not. But if you want to, give me a call. Yeah, for by all means. <laughs> yeah. But me, though, because these guys are hating on Monster. <laughs> Don't give them a dime. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Oh, <laughs> you're laughing. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a little hypocritical to be talking about health and well-being and then have a monster sitting here. I realize that, but it's also like 2.30 or 2.40 in the morning. So it's the only way it was going to happen. It's the only It's the yeah. only way. We've been on jet skis all day, so. Yeah, I'm super tired. Super. <laughs> 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 it's hard. It's a hard life out here in Miami. Yeah. Oh, man. Anyways, um, what else? This podcast is the longest thing in history. It's amazing. Yeah, so there's like uh, four or five people that uh, four or five people that joined in on the uh, on the conversation here. Um, we're answering questions live um, from Miami, Florida. It is currently two forty one a.m. Super specific. Uh, yes, we are f- uh, pharmacists. So, yes, um, all three of us care beyond pharmacy. Um, we are pharmacists. All three of us are community pharmacists. There's a third pharmacist over there that you're not seeing. You all of them. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so we're all community pharmacists. Um, we've all had leadership roles in community pharmacy. Um, so that is our background. Yes. Where'd you go to school? 
University Adam. of Pittsburgh, where the polio vaccine was created. That's a fun fact. It's a fun fact. There you go. I have much pit pride. I love my school. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Where'd you go to school? I went to uh, the Medical University of South Carolina. Nice. Yes. So I went to University of Florida, Orlando campus. Very cool. UF has three campuses. For Which one's the best? Know, definitely Orlando. Okay. Just curious. Just I, kidding. I didn't know no, if that. No, no. <laughs> I didn't know if that was like the, the school that like. No, no, no. That's more of the third tier. That, yeah. that's where you go. <laughs> no, uh, the campuses. It's funny, but I think UF has done a really good job at like kind of standardizing the education. So I think we got really similar experiences across all three campuses, which was pretty amazing um, for that to even be a thing. This last com- this next comment says, uh, "I am Arabian. You speak so fast, so I think that you are taking energy drinks." <laughs> <laughs> I yes. am. I will say though that my fast speaking is more so just me fooling around um, and just kind of the way I talk. Probably I speak too too quickly sometimes, more so than the energy drink. I would say, mm. but it's probably not helping. Yeah. Yeah. What's your question? You so got more stuff I got one here. It says, uh, what kind of clinical services do you guys perform? Um, maybe we can go a little bit more specific. Maybe if you want to just maybe give us a follow up question, like if you mean like within the pharmacy or outside the pharmacy, but um, if it's within the pharmacy, I mean, you know, a big thing now is medication therapy management. It's a, a thing where, you know, we're trying to give people education and help them better understand what's going on with their medications and it is billable services so Mm -hmm. that's clinical yeah i've done for as far as the big chain stuff goes um i have for in the pharmacy chain world i've done mtm so medication therapy management i've done for uh at one point i was handling like claims for like 80 different stores and um outside of the pharmacy um and getting out of like the teaching and working with students um, I also work with the diabetes program that I talked about earlier on the podcast, but um, I work directly with um, patients that work for the city of Charleston, South Carolina, and I have to meet with them in order for them to stay in the program, and I just provide patient education, and it could be anything from changing insulin doses to changing medications altogether to teaching them how to carb count, uh, whatever it may be. And we go through that. So that's the diabetes education is really what I'm involved in outside of the actual physical pharmacy. Yeah. For me, it's really um, health and wellness with nutrition education and breaking down barriers, um, specifically for the healthcare professional or busy professional who's looking to make simple solutions to live healthy lives. So I'm really into speaking. Once you give me this mic, it's not going away. So giving talks. Um, yeah. <laughs> As we slowly move the mic away from him. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, giving tops to, you know, take that information and make it implementable to people's lifestyle. That's really where, where my passion lies. Um, but as far as pharmacy, where I work, our focus now is prescription scheduling. Um, so when to take your medications and why and explaining that to avoid potential drug interactions, uh, optimize medication adherence, optimizing medication to work best for you. The example we gave earlier was, you know, Simstat in a bedtime versus in the morning or Synthroid with calcium yeah. or something like along those lines. So that's really the focus where I work as far as um, specifically using that clinical knowledge in workflow in a busy community pharmacy. And then there's vaccines, you know, that's Absolutely. another clinical uh, service. Uh, Shingrix is the big one now. It just came out. Uh, we got, for those that don't know, uh, Dr. Corvino ha- here has 
amazing clinical content that's always like new up and coming and he was actually the first person that i even heard about shingrix like i think it was last year that i heard about shingrix uh (laughs) from him and uh you know just recently got approved in florida um not too long ago so and a lot of people are like what is it i'm like uh known about this for a year bro um yeah so but follow core console yeah you got (laughs) to follow him on instagram um and all you know all other social media platforms because he'll really keep you up to date on on what's going on in, in healthcare especially in medications. Yeah. So, my Arabian friend is saying that as a pharmacist, what do I think about these drinks? Um, then apparently they're very worried about me drinking them. Um, so. Solid question. Solid. <laughs> it's a good question. And it's very also making me realize that I need to stop having this in the camera. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's all about moderation. It's about moderation, exactly. It's all about moderation, not black and white. It's, you know, chemicals. Ascorbic acid's a chemical, so labeling it that is just ridiculous. Stupid. You know, (laughs) I I think it's got uh, a lot of sugar in it, for sure. Um, It's got caffeine. It's got other things. But, you know, I think in moderation it's not I, I drink other things such as water <laughs> um, but I've seen I, him drink coffee uh, yeah sometimes I'll drink just regular coffee to make sure I don't have any of the extra filler stuff in there but uh, in moderation I think and you know if I start to notice a change in my blood pressure or anything like that uh, I'll just take a statin and that way I can continue to drink Monster. <laughs> yeah, <but> JK. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. If you want a healthier option you still want Monster they make Monster Zero so you get the same kick <laughs> Without the sugar, you don't like the white can. Adam, just just don't even just talk about that nonsense. <laughs> you don't like the white can. How dare you? Uh, that's what happens when you bring the the health guy. Uh, <laughs> he's always he's always health he's shaming. He's always me. giving us great advice. <laughs> great advice. Just that jerk. Uh, no, the, the advice would be moderation. So I'm really a firm believer in not being restrictive. So if you like Monster and that's like your non-negotiable, like I want this, I need this, fine have that but if you want to live healthier or make some other changes we need to make changes elsewhere it's not non-negotiable so it's it's not a black and white restrictive you can't have this eliminate all carbs things like that but it really comes down to you know what's important to you what your preferences are and then taking those and applying them so that you can consistently adhere to that plan so that's really a, a huge take-home point for any any nutrition plan whether you're diabetic or trying to lose weight maintain weight or just be healthier overall so we got another question here on Instagram. Uh, it, it, we're still going strong. Yeah. And I uh, love 3 a. it. 3 a.m. coming. Yeah, we're about to hit 3 a.m. So uh, the question was, what do we think about the model of pharmacies next door to clinics? And, um, and because apparently that's the model that they're in, and they're saying if there's not a, a you know, physician there, there's sales decrease, um, which I think a synerg- anytime you can form a synergistic partnership is ideal. Um, especially if, you know, once there's obviously nothing illegal going on, things like that, um, it's usually an ideal situation because why not have two businesses next to each other that can both benefit, um, that can both mutually benefit. Um, I even, a step further, just on business, just from a healthcare standpoint, it makes it easier because assuming you build a relationship with that clinic, um, you could easily have things change. You can easily take care of that one patient between the two of you. Um, so I think it's a great thing to have, um, 
do I think it's absolutely completely necessary? No, because I think that you can still form partnerships with other, you know, with other organizations that might not be right next door to you. Um, you know, they could be a mile away or a couple miles away, let's say. Yeah, so I would highly recommend uh, looking into telehealth. That is going to be huge. Mm -hmm. Very, very simple. And there's a program right now that one of my old professors is involved with. It's a, a grant here in, uh, here, not here in Miami, but where I'm <laughs> from in Charleston, South Carolina. There's a grant there. He works out of the medical university, but he has a couple clinics that are, that are on the outskirts of the city and uh, they don't have a lot of clinicians out there. And basically, the, there's a, one in particular, it's a nurse practitioner run clinic. And patients will be seen, uh, and then they see the, the nurse practitioner for their primary, they're basically the primary care taker. And whenever they have a complex case, like a um, diabetes patient that's been uncontrolled for a long time, they can't figure out why, um, and they will consult him. And he does it pretty often, actually. Um, his computer will go off message comes up and he's got two screens. He can see the nurse practitioner and he can see the patient's chart on the other screen. And they can they will go through the patient's chart, the patient's history. He will give feedback and what he would recommend, make his recommendation, and then it is uh, sent back to obviously the nurse practitioner takes that information and goes back to the patient. Um, you know, I think that it's it's been it's a model that they're doing they have a grant in place to prove that it's valuable and it's it's working very, very well so far, and uh, he's had really good success with that. But I would, I would say that if there's any chance to get involved with anything like that, uh, that would be something to look at in the future, and at least keep it on your radar for the future because I think that'll be huge. Yeah. Anyone have any other, any other questions? Are you guys sure? <laughs> Man, we almost hit three. We got nine minutes to hit three. <laughs> I mean, we can. I can talk forever. So just, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I, can, I know. I can ramble. <laughs> I can ramble. All right. Well, I would say that this was a. Uh, it was long. Yeah. But no. I, I think you know. I, I really do hope people got some good value out of it. If you're if you're still listening right now, like respect, respect, yeah. like <laughs> respect. Like I really like DM me if you would like yeah. heard this whole thing and tell me what you think. Like if maybe we shouldn't do it again, or <laughs> or if you like it and we could do it more, uh, let I guess let us know. It'd be cool. But uh, thank you guys, thank you, f my two guests for uh, being on here for however many hours this was. Really do appreciate it. Fourteen hours, I think. Yeah, basically. Bill's coming. <laughs> Darn it! Uh, I knew I had a knew it was a catch. Anyway, yeah. But um, so for those that do not know, and again, still listening. Got a book out, First Time Pharmacist, helping new pharmacists, students, interns, um, learning about insurance issues, dealing with patients, how to build relationships, um, and managing teams. So it's available on Amazon and uh, in both Kindle and paperback versions. And every copy that you buy does actually find an orphan kangaroo a new home. So that's also a little benefit as well. That 100% does not happen. <laughs> but I can tell you that every copy that you do buy does provide a cup of coffee to one pharmacist yeah and no 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 kangaroos were harmed in the making of this book so that's that's, true. A, that's a good thing that's awesome put that in your pouch yeah scene cut <laughs>
Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed what you just listened to. Make sure to follow us on your favorite social media platforms. And however you're listening, whether it be on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, or something else we didn't just mention, we'd appreciate you to subscribe, leave us a rating, and even drop us a comment and let us know what you think. And until next time, see you over the counter.